Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Joining me is James Capra. He's the founder of Frontline Leadership Group. He's an author of several books. And, of course, uh, he used to work with the DEA. He served as the chief of global operations, responsible for some 227 domestic offices in 86 foreign countries and or foreign offices in 67 countries. Jim, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You know what a what a. A pleasure and an honor to be with you. No, it's I'm I'm so thrilled to have you on. And you know, I know that yesterday was Drug Awareness Day, and um, as as we've been talking a little bit about what's going on in this great country, um, of all things, the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, warned just literally uh, just a couple of days ago about this widespread threat of targeting kids. And the statement released talked about rainbow fentanyl, and it talked about um, just the, the, the amazing statistics that are taking place of hundreds of thousands of, of not, not pounds, but there's, there's so much drugs coming in at an almost overwhelming rate. So I wanted to have you on just to talk a little bit about this. More than half of Americans seem to blame migrants or the failed border policies. Um, Other people blame something else, something else that's going on in our culture and our society. I just wanted your take on what you see happening right now. Yeah, well, you know what? If if you go back, you know, I served with the with the DEA for almost thirty years, and it's as throughout my entire tenure, that's pretty much been the pull. We blame it on one thing, blame it on another, blame it on the user, blame it on the inability to you know to protect our sovereign country, and and there's there's enough blame to go all the way around. Right. And and part of it has to do with how we're looking at the drug culture today. Well, how how we look from a legislative standpoint. Um, you know, we've decided in a lot of areas that we're just going to we're going to legalize certain substances that were considered and have been illegal and, by the way, extremely harmful. Right. And so anytime in the last few years, anytime the decrease, I mean, you get a decrease in harm. If you, in other words, your perception of harm decreases, use and abuse always go up, always historically go up. So when and, and remember that drugs in general, illegal drugs, they're all targeted to who a younger population. And so now we're faced with this fentanyl crisis, which fentanyl has been around for a long, long time. And what's happening right now is my good friend, Derek Maltz, who is Derek and I work together. He's been traveling around speaking about it. He says, what we have today is we literally have, we don't have just accidental overdoses. We have a conscious uh, uh, group of individuals that are poisoning our kids in our country, literally poisoning them um, by supplying a counterfeit drug. So you got kids going online and not, not just, Young, uh, young kids, but all ages, but mostly in the younger category. And I, I suspect it's anywhere from between, you know, as, as low as 13 up to, you know, 35, getting online, trying to score something like a Xanax or a Percocet or something like that. They're getting it from Mexico. The problem is fentanyl 
which which is a which is literally used as a um, anesthetic and a pain reliever and has been around for a long time. It's 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 um, put together in micrograms. So if you think of a sharpened pencil mm-hmm. and the tip of that pencil, and you just put a little bit of fentanyl on the tip of that pencil just to cover the tip, that's enough to kill you. That's wow. absolutely enough to kill you. And so what we have is we have uh, the fentanyl being produced in China, the Chinese organized crime dealing with cartels. They're shipping them though those uh, either the fentanyl or the precursors to make the fentanyl. In Mexico, they're putting it together, and then they advertise as all these counterfeit drugs. And, and that's what we're seeing a lot of. Then we have wholesale distribution of fentanyl in the country. So it's coming across the border and being sold in, in either pills or packet or, again, counterfeit substances. And we're, we're, we've now, I think we're up to 110,000 people that we lose a year to drug overdoses. 60% yeah. of that is from fentanyl. I was looking at the CDC uh, stats, and again, I don't know how accurate it is, but they reported 150 people dying each day from opioid-related overdoses, which doesn't seem – I'm wondering if that's exaggerated or if it's even underreported. I'll tell you, in all my years, I'm always careful. You really – you have to be careful what's being thrown out out there. Some of it – you know, some of it is just is purposeful, and and others is just maybe mistakenly. You know, but it, but we're we're up to, uh, and I don't know what when you start doing the math on what 110,000 people you divide that up how many days. But you do have to be careful. But we are, I mean, we we're losing kids and young people uh, like rain just dropping like raindrops, which is just out of control. So we, you have this. You know, first of all, the internet has provided the ability to get these counterfeit drugs, which are which are laced or are just fentanyl. So that's number that's number one. Number two, to be quite honest with you, brother, we we have, and I'm not playing politics. I've just been I've served the country since I'm 18 years old mm-hmm. in three different military outfits and almost 30 years with with DEA. And we have a government that's kind of thrown their hands up and said, well. Yeah, you know, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And that sounds that sounds terrible. But but I will I will tell you one of the last things that I had the opportunity to do is testify before the Senate and was asked about drug legalization. Mm-hmm. I told them it was reckless and irresponsible. And, and when I when I said that, I was kind of called on the carpet. My administrator was called on the carpet. Was told that we embarrassed the president. And we embarrass the attorney general and all this. Stuff. I'm not. I'm not playing politics. Sure. I'm, what I'm. What I'm saying is, we we've decided from a legislative standpoint that well, I'm not sure we can do anything about this, which is totally wrong. Which we can do. We 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 have the ability, both you know, as a government, applying pressure on China, applying more pressure on Mexico, and all those other other things. So we can't we can't sit back and do nothing. And go, gosh, we got a crisis. That's all you'll see on TV. Gosh, we got a crisis. And my question is, as a former narc, you know, as a guy that that was on the I was on the line with 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 other men and women, is what, what do you mean that's it? What, what isn't there more to do? Like, you know, th- there has to be more that we can get done. And, and we've decided that messaging about drug abuse is is not worth it. It doesn't work. We don't. We we, we decided these things. We just said, and we we decided. Well, we're going to keep legalizing other substances like marijuana, psilocybin mushrooms. So as long as you keep going down that road 
as long as you keep within our culture saying these things are acceptable and you know as well as I do, the, the more things are acceptable, then they become morally okay. And, and we, we shake our heads and say, why are we losing people? Well, because they don't think there's a big harm to things. Well, it's my understanding that fentanyl was first synthesized in about 1960, and that when it started uh, becoming popular, there were brand names and then there were generic names. Um, and we hear about tens of millions and then hundreds of millions. And it, as the bust seemed to be adding up since the 60s and mid-70s, we're talking about half a billion dollars worth of this uh, fentanyl. How much does it cost to produce this drug? And um, are, is this sort of like a drop in the bucket? Is this one of those situations where it's the tip of the iceberg? And if we're get, if we're if we're re- capturing and recovering that much, is it, it wrong to think that a lot more is getting through? Well, I think I think number one, it it is. Remember, this is a, this is a, a criminal enterprise. And, and like you and I have spoken uh, in the past mm-hmm. about it's the fastest way to make money for any criminal enterprise is to mm-hmm. be involved in the drug business. It, it's more profitable than diamond smuggling, arms smuggling, sex and human trafficking combined. Mm-hmm. So that kind of money, that kind of money that's generated destabilizes entire nations. And that kind of money is the linchpin to corruption for things that you want to get done. You know, you, you, you go, go to a, a country that their you know, population is poor, it may be considered a third world country, and you offer somebody that's making a handful of dollars a week to say, hey, I'll give you a couple hundred if you do A, B, and C. So th- that's some of the problem with where, where, what, we're, what we're seeing going on here. From a cost perspective, you can, you can invest anywhere from three to $5,000 for a kilo of fentanyl from China. Mm-hmm. Let's say you get it from China. You turn that kilo, 2.2 pounds, here in the United States into about $1.5 million. So it's extremely profitable. It it is the same thing that we had in the heyday with cocaine and heroin. You can, depending on where in the world that you, if you bought it for in South America for a few thousand bucks, you turn it around and you can turn it into, especially for a street level, $100,000 per kilo, you know, in the day when it was at a, and, and now this is what we're, we're faced with with uh, fentanyl. And, now, and again, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, mm. obviously, cocaine, heroin, highly addictive. But, Jim, is it true what what experts are saying? Fentanyl is extremely addictive. People report craving it just after one use. And in other words, is this quite possibly one of the most, if not the most addictive drug available right at this very moment? Well, well, if you, yeah, I think if you think about it, re- remember when people have heard of fentanyl, we think of fentanyl patches. We think mm-hmm. of the medical community, how it's used that way. And it's extremely powerful because micrograms, mi- micrograms, this is, these are, when, when I say micrograms, think of a sugar packet right. and just a few of the little tiny dime that's in there. So, yeah, powerful. And, and it's a, listen, it's a great drug in, used in the medical community. For pain and anesthesia, all these other things, but it, it, it's a central nervous system depressant. So you get a kid or any adult who thinks he's he's or she is taking a Xanax pill because that's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. That's what they ordered, and it's fentanyl. And they're not doing it by grams. They're just putting this stuff together counterfeit. Right. They're dead within a half hour. Their system, they just their, their mind says stop breathing. And that's really what's happening. Boom. 
they're they're down. So you talked about stop stop breathing. So this danger isn't just to the users, but to to health workers, first responders, even the agents. In other other words, what you're saying is that fentanyl, it's my understanding, it can be absorbed through the skin. It can be accidentally inhaled. In in other words, it's possible for this to, to for catastrophic consequences. There is. I, I, I spoke in, at a, um, a kind of a national security. It's a, a private organization mm-hmm. and said when you think about things, if you could aerosol something, this is this is not out of the realm of possibilities. When we think about what we're facing in our world today, we, we, we tell law enforcement, first of all, be very, very careful when you're handling any kind of drugs. So you got to be careful ab- about that, uh, how, what you're breathing in. and out. But if you can aerosolize something, if that's such a word turn that into an aerosol, you could kill hundreds of people. You, you could turn it into a weapon Wow! if you, if, if, if you were smart, you know, smart enough to do this. And I, I say to people, why are you saying that? Other people don't. Well, we've been talking about it for a long time. Sure. Um, but there, and there are groups, I, there are groups that, that would be willing you know, to do that if they can hurt the interests of the United States. So there's not just the drug issue that we have with our young men and women. There's a national security issue here. There is an ash, and it always has been. And I, I've had people laugh at me. Well, what are you talking about? Listen, when, when you can pharmaceutically induce tens of thousands of people in a culture, in, in a country, so they, they suddenly are disengaged from their responsibility as citizens, people, fathers, and everything, it, it, it's, it, it's one, one step further into destroying not only just a community, a city, a state, and a country. And, I, and I've had people look at me and shake their heads and say, wow, I think you're being a little melodramatic. I said 110,000 people a year we're now losing. Right. When I retired in 2014, when I, last time I testified for the Senate, it was 40,000. We were losing 40,000. We're now at 110,000. Right. How can you exaggerate the, the, the problem here? And again, the National Institute on Health has outlined it, said, hey, look, um, these are the main risk factors for drug abuse early aggressive behavior, lack of parental supervision, peer pressure, drug availability, poverty. The other factors include neglect, physical, sexual abuse, living in a home with high levels of parenting stress, economic stress. But, Jim, you know, there's a spiritual um, element here, isn't there? Yeah, there absolutely is. You know, you know, I, I get asked... Um, when I go out and speak, especially if it's about the drug issue, they say, what do you think is one of the leading causes? I said, we've become a fatherless nation. Mm. So that's number one. We've, we've, we have fathers that are abandoning their families. If you see any of the statistics about any issues with children, one of the number one reasons that kids get involved in crime, suicide, behavior that's toxic, is the first thing that comes to mind is what's the family unit look like? And then as you well know, we, we have, as Christians, we know there's an enemy. Right. We know there's an enemy that, that's, that's willing to, to hurt God's creation. We know that for a fact. And so if you, you, if you can destroy the family, and if you destroy the, the family unit, you start crumbling away at a culture and a, and a state and a country. You, you no longer have dads that are pouring into kids. You know, like, so I'll, 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 I, this is going to sound purposeful, and it is. I have six amazing kids five out of, out of seven, my six are married they've all they've all they're all in public service so i have them in the military and in law enforcement 
They've all found spouses. Thankfully, my wife and I spent a lot of time on our knees. They've all made mistakes. We all mm-hmm. have to know I don't have the perfect child. My middle son, uh, who, who is in law enforcement, came up to me a number of years ago and said, Dad, what's wrong with my generation? He just, just sat in the talk. He's a sharp kid. Dad, what's wrong with my generation? And, and I just said, well, Mark, we got us, you know, to sit and talk. And I said, you know, we, I was pretty hard on you growing up. I said, well, we had high expectations. We had this. And, and then I sat back and talked to my wife and kind of prayed about it and kind of wrote our story about raising, you know, courageous kids. We've forgotten how to do that. Mm-hmm. We've, or, or we've chosen in our community, in our culture, not to do that. And we've, 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 we've walked away from our faith. We've walked away from our, our first love. And then we're looking and going, how did we get here? How do we have a community like this? How, you know, we keep we keep looking, and 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 people like me are yelling. I'll tell you, well, we, churches have been quiet. Fathers have walked away, and we've allowed them to walk away. We just said, oh, okay, that's just the way it goes. Half of our kids born today are born to single moms. In in the in some of the ethnic communities, it's seventy five percent. My guest is James Capper. You can find out more at FrontlineLeadershipGroup.com. Jim Capra, thanks so much for being my guest. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. Today's Fort Lauderdale forecast, beautiful, especially for your business. Here, growth opportunities in tech, life sciences, aviation, and financial services are as great as the weather. With one of the top business climates in the country, over 6 million people, and zero state income tax, there's no place under the sun better for you and your business. Learn more from the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance at lesstaxing.com. Because life in Greater Fort Lauderdale truly is life less taxing.